Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. Thank you, Yola Tango. As always, we have our good friend Nick Kroll, who's been with us on this podcast a couple times. Uh, he has also been on... Has he been on both seasons of Ugly Delicious? He was in Babies, and he was... Yeah, he was He was in the Dumpling episode, sort oh, of uh, judging the right, competition. That's right. <laughs> we had to patch that in. like uh, Edit that in. So he was talking to me... And Mario Cobone as the audience heckler, right? Yeah. yeah. He was the he heckler. Was heckler. No, he, he was the judge. He was the judge and also just like there to be like, what is happening? <laughs> well, I have known Nick, wow, since 1999, believe it yeah. or not. We Insane. have been friends for that long. Um, I met Nick in college and then we hung out uh, again a few years later at, uh, on a birthday crawl to, to Staten Island to watch the Cyclones play. The funniest thing is... I think most of our friends went into corporate business or some normal finance job or whatever, like whatever yeah. you do. This is pre-Momo. This is pre-Nick getting TV shows. Like you were just two guys. Like, Pre, you know, and, and, and Nick came out of Georgetown, which is one of the, you know, Harvard always gets the, the credit for the lampoon, but Georgetown has arguably... The, 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 it's like, you know, if, if like what college is running back you, then like Georgetown is sort of like comedian you as well. They had Mike Brulia, I can never pronounce his name right. And a few other great comedians and, and John Mulaney, clearly one of, uh, you know, the great comedians of our, our time, Nick's close friend. Anyway, I remember being like, wow, Nick is going to pursue comedy. And he's like, oh, Dave's going to pursue cooking. Everyone thought we were out of our minds. <laughs> did you okay so everyone else everyone's going into business everyone's going to banking and stuff and finance around you you've talked about that they all thought you're crazy what did you think about nick kroll going into comedy what is nick like a super funny person just to hang out with is that is that yeah, always translate? he's he's an extraordinarily good good human right first and foremost secondly he is also I mean, almost equally as funny right but but it's 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 it was one of those things where I feel like people thought it was well you know we'll see well, how serious is this, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to talk about before we get into this call. I mean, this interview with Nick is you never know who's going to actually be the one to make it. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the NFL draft; you just don't know. Mm -hmm. Even if they got In all basketball, the stats. you definitely sort of know, right? Very rarely do you have the like. I had no idea. I had right. no idea the this undrafted person. Occasionally, it happens. Like you know, like Jokic is like a second round draft pick. But I think like in football and other things in life, you identify who the front runner is, but you rarely ever anticipate that the person that's going to actually be successful is the person that is like seems like they have it together. This seems like they're going to do it and. You know, before the pandemic started, I think one of our last podcasts before the pandemic started with David Epstein on his book Range, you know, part part of it is like you're not able to connect the dots until after the fact. And, and I think Nick did a variety of things that led to it. And number one is clearly he worked to to sort of match the natural talent that he has. And I remember when we opened up Noodle Bar, him and John Mulaney would practice their oh hello bit at, at uh, Rafifi's, which was right across the street uh, on, uh, on 11th and 1st. And we'd go over there and there was this mutual of like, hey, you guys are figuring out. And they literally started to do that the same month we opened up Momofuku Noodle Bar in 2004, August 2004, was when they started to do their first act in Rafifi's. And to see them sort of 
start from where they are to where they were to where they are today has just been remarkable. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why I do have a lot of friends that are in the comedy world is because of Nick. You know, a lot of our restaurants just sort of became the canteen for a lot of these comedians. And I was introducing them through Nick. So I remember, I think I met Aziz when he was like a junior in NYU. <laughs> you know, it's just like so weird. But um, to see where he's taken this animation and and what human resources is, again, like I, I just think this is the next iteration of him. And and I don't know, like he's so, so talented in so many different ways and things that he does that... Uh, it's exciting to see where where he's going. Human Resources is his new show on Netflix. It is a spinoff of Big Mouth, right? Yeah, it's like a workplace comedy about all like the hormone monsters and characters from Big Mouth. Yeah, right. So Which the, is kind of those genius. monsters, yeah, have their own show now, and um, I'm sure you're listening. But like. Thanks. We already watched the entire season. <laughs> yeah. No shit. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> but we don't. Uh, we don't get to hear Nick Kroll talk about parenthood. That's 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 what we get to get into. That's that's yeah. a Dave Chang show exclusive. Even if you could have foreseen Nick's success, even if you could have foreseen that he would go into animation, like I don't think that you we like you would have been able to see like the sort of amazing preciseness precision with which he like talks about like parenting and, and marriage and relationships like it's amazing on these car- in these cartoons and i also think nick is an extremely talented actor yeah so we'll see man a, a, a really uh super talented individual that uh, i'm lucky to call a good friend of mine um so i will stop talking as most of you probably would la- rather listen <laughs> to nick kroll so here you go This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Are you doing a bunch of interviews right now? I'm doing, uh, frankly, I'm doing a, 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 this is where I'm like, I'm actually just doing a few interviews. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are one of few. You guys are one of few right now. Um, I've been do. I've done, I've done a little more selected because we're, I'm, I'm about to, we're, we're two days away from starting to shoot history of the world part two for Hulu. So welcome to the Hulu family. Thank you, so, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so we're, so I'm, I'm like, it, 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 I don't know if this feels this way for you, but it, everything always seems to like coincide and coalesce in one, uh, thing where it's like, Oh, you're, uh, you got to go promote this thing that's about to come out. And you're also starting this other thing that is like in uh, that you're about to embark on the, and, and it feels, I feel slightly pulled. And on top of it all, uh, your your son is now walking. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, I told him to walk down to meet me. He won't. He's terrible. He's terrible with. He's he's better with ways, but ways doesn't really help you for walking. You know what I mean? So yeah, totally. Yeah, it's all happening. It's all happening. I mean, is it ever not all happening, Nick? Is it ever not all? Like honestly, when your your son's like one now, was there a period where it wasn't all happening? I think there were moments in my life where I was like, all right, I'm very busy with work. And there are moments where I was like, you know, during the pandemic, I was like, I have work to do, but I have like my, my focus is right now. I don't know if you guys are feeling this in general, but like, as the world begins to open up, like we, I know you guys were, I mean, I was talking to both of you and seeing Dave in, in, you know, controlled settings during, throughout the pandemic, but there was something safer about the pandemic for us work-wise, where it was like, you could work, but you had to be in one place or whatever. And now it feels like the world is opening up and I think we're all navigating how to go back to the way things were while maintaining some of the things we liked or trying to figure out to problem solve for the things that we were struggling with um, in, in, in pandemic times. And I don't, I don't know if we've, uh, I'm trying to figure out what the, where those balances lie. Yeah. I think we're, <laughs> yeah, it's just like we're all sort of getting a taste of the old schedule. And yeah, it's it's a rude awakening. It's a lot more travel. It's a lot more simultaneous projects happening at once. But, um, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm excited that you're getting to work on this Mel Brooks thing quickly for people that don't know what's happening here, because I know you've been working on this for a while. So the Mel Brooks, who's like a personal hero of mine truly i don't think there's anyone more formative for my comedy than mel brooks he uh made a movie in 1981 called history of the world part one and it's like a more of a sketch movie than the, you know might people might know him better from blazing saddles my the producers is, was my all-time favorite movie uh young frankenstein space balls the list goes on um history of the world part one is like a some shorter sketches and then some bigger, you know, like longer stories, but it's all sort of bits and pieces. So he came to me and, um, and about doing a show, a version of it. Um, you know, it's the, it's the first sequel that happens 40 years after the first one, uh, movie. <laughs> so we're doing it as eight episodes for Hulu. I'm doing it with my friends like Baron Holtz and Dave Stassen and Wanda Sykes. And then we're now, and then we're, we're putting together an insane cast that we start, shooting in a couple of days. So I don't know when that'll come out, but we start on that. And, and, um, uh, it's the first thing I've done live action, uh, in quite some time. Cause I've spent the last number of years really focused on, on big mouth. And then now our, this spinoff human resources, which is, you know, a spin a animated shows for Netflix. So much. I mean, <laughs> from one workaholic to another, you know, it's like <laughs> the comedy tour, you know, you got n next season of Big Mouth just coming out with Human Resource. We'll get into that. And I'm sure a bunch of other projects. It's like, when is enough? Or is this like work now? Like, is it making you happy? Like, because I, I don't know. I'm wondering the same thing. It's, is it, mm -hmm. it's just a weird feeling. It's not ineffable, but it's a strange feeling because now I'm looking back on work pre-pandemic. I was like, I don't know how sustainable that was. <laughs> yeah. No. It, and it changes you know, you had had Hugo before the pandemic. And it's interesting because I actually, in, in you know, in, in talking about human resources, like, and we'll, we can talk about it whenever you, inside of this, whenever you want, but it, it applies to this, which is like, you know, 
human resources about all the creatures that it's a spinoff from big mouth in big mouth. We had the hormone monsters and the depression kitties and the anxiety mosquitoes and the love bugs and all that. And then we've created this human resources, which is a takes place in the, in their world. And it's like an office workplace comedy, but it's about all these creatures that help us navigate our lives. And there's a lot of a story that, that I keep thinking about inside of that is, is like you, like you're, your love bug and your ambition gremlin, how those two interact. Like in the show, we tell a story about a girl who's like in love with her girlfriend and she gets into Berkeley, but her girlfriend go, is going to Rutgers and Rutgers is the her safety school. And the, the story is about the love bug and the ambition gremlin arguing about whether this girl should like go fulfill her dream of always having gone to Berkeley or following her love to Rutgers. So I feel, and I assume you guys feel, as as many people in the workspace feel, of this thing of like, you know, and I can speak to Dave, Chris, I, you know, I know you a bit, but Dave, I've known for many years, like our ambition gremlins have been, had a central focus in our, in the conference room of our workplace, right? By the way, the the ambition gremlin in, in our show is voiced by Rosie Perez. So good. Just to give you some context. So unbelievably um, good. So our ambition gremlin runs front and center, but then you get married and you have a child or in, or two children or whatever. And all of a sudden you're like, how, how I have to renegotiate the terms between my love bug and my ambition gremlin. I used to have my ambition gremlin used to be like, you know, you go fucking work, you go make money, you go build the next show, you go build this business. Like that's what, that's what you do. That's what your focus is. And for me for a long time, that's where my love bug was too. Cause I love what I do. I, I genuinely love the process of making a show of writing a standup hour. I, I, I derived true love from that, but then I got married and had a son and now my love bug has taken this other, it has changed not just the idea of what I love, but the love bug itself has changed and it's grown and it's more powerful than it used to be. And so it's that, that negotiation, that conversation between the love bug and, and the ambition gremlin. And, and what's weird is this is how nefarious or insidious our creatures can be is that my ambition gremlin can then convince my love bug that what I need to be doing is working so that I can provide mm-hmm. for my family. Mm-hmm. And that's when they get insidious and nefarious is it's like, no, you got to go to work because you got to make money because you got to pay for some fucking diapers. You know, it's real. You know, it's not like And so I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I'm assuming you guys can identify. Yeah, and, and it makes a lot of sense if you <laughs> watch your shows and and the love bug, your, your love bug glows. So, so bright. It does. It, I think what I think is like super like nuanced about about it, you know, it's it is especially in human resources is like these all of these characters working in our in our our minds. These are the love bugs and the hormone monsters and the ambition gremlins like it'd be one thing if they were all just sort of self-serving and fighting one another for, to like for themselves. But you've got this situation where the ambition gremlin is like the best thing for Nick is this. <laughs> the love bug is yes. like the best thing for Nick is this right there. Yes. It's all, they're all in service of the human really. And that's kind of how it plays out in our real lives, right? Like Dave's sitting there and he's like, I know I should spend more time, you know, not working, but like, 
the best thing for me and my family, like you said, is to work, right? Or like it, it like that's the thing. Is like these these impulses aren't necessarily selfish in themselves. They're all like different parts of us that think this is the best no, thing they're for advocating, what we doing. Yeah, they're advocating for their interests. Like, and we all in in running businesses, it's like you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make a terrible analogy to a kitchen, which I know nothing about or a restaurant, but it's like, you <laughs> so know, exciting. your, your front of house, your front of house is like, we need people seated as soon as they walk in. Cause it's fucking awkward when they're sitting there, but your kitchen, you know, your, your, your sous chef or, you know, is like, I, I can't plate. There's no way we can plate I know you can seat them, but we can't plate the food fast enough. They're all advocating for what their position is. Ultimately, it's, it's trying to make those decisions. And on a set, it's like, you've got a costume designer, you've got your production designer, you've got your writers, you've got your director, you've got whatever, and you've got your actors. And you're like, I need to, tr- I want to do my best to help you do your best, but that sometimes mean I'm going to tell you no, or I'm going to tell you to fuck off, or I'm going to, or there are times where I'm like, nobody's more important than my production designer in this moment, because she's the one who's telling me we can't turn over that room fast enough to shoot that next bit. And if I can't, if I don't have the time to turn over that room, like it's going to look like shit or it's, and it's like, all right, then I have to tell my actors, sorry, you're called, we're pushing this to a night shoot tomorrow. I know you want to go home to your kid, but like, this won't happen unless we do that. And the same goes for our creatures. It's like your anxiety, your shame wizard is going to tell you like, like you're like how, how shameful that you're not home to be with your son for bedtime. You know, like that, you should be embarrassed. You should be ashamed of yourself. And at times you're like, you're right. I am going to cut this meeting short so I can be home for bedtime because I have been properly shamed by my shame wizard to do that. But if you're constantly being ruled by your shame wizard and you are then like, you know what, I'm not going to work for the next three weeks. I'm going to be home like that might not be the answer for you or your family because you're going to be you're going to be depressed or you're going to be your ambition gremlin is going to come out sideways and you're going to be weirdly you're going to be annoying, annoyingly trying to tell your son how to build a fucking millennium Falcon leg set. And he doesn't want to do it yet, <laughs> but your ambition is like needs to do something. So it's like my philosophy is like, they all deserve a seat at the table. They all are there to advocate for what they do. And they all, if any of them are running too, too wild, that's when you get out of whack. You know what I mean? And like, you have to figure out how to manage them and work with all of them because they're all a part of us for a reason. Well, they don't have the amazing actors voicing it. I want Helen Mirren to be my shame wizard voice. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> who do you think is voicing fucking... Dave Chang's shame wizard? That's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, who is voicing your shame wizard? <laughs> good question. Good question. I, I don't know. I don't know. But that's one thing too, is, is you got the, all-star crew to voice all of these. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy. It's, uh, it's a crazy, we've got, I mean, we've got Randall Park is a logic rock who is in his own, the logic rocks personal life, anything but logical. Um, we've got Kiki Palmer is a, is a love bug. Uh, uh, 80 Brian is a love bug. Uh, we've got, uh, Maya Rudolph and I are, are the hormone monsters again, but then we've got like Helen Mirren is a shame wizard. We've got Hugh Jackman is an addiction angel. 
Um, <laughs> Lupita Nyong'o is a shame wizard. Um, we've got, uh, I mean, it goes on and Bobby Cannavale is an amazing, uh, hormone monster in this. Rosie Perez is an ambition gremlin. My, uh, one of our writers, Brandon Kyle Goodman is another, uh, love bug. Uh, Pam Adlon is a love bug. It's a crazy stacked Grew. Ali Wong is a is on it as a mother, and we have you know great people in the in the real world as well, um, playing real life people. Uh, uh, Tandaway Newton is another uh, hormone monster. It's like a bunch of people who have no business being on an animated show. Let them let on an animated show where people where like dicks are getting chopped off and uh, people are <laughs> jerking off and weird. I, I feel places. like when we talked to you earlier in the pandemic, like. You were recording from home in like a makeshift situation. I feel like I have an image of you like under a blanket, just recording at your own house or something, or just having like a little recording thing. I saw a studio. It it was a real makeshift studio. It was a piece of, I hated it. (laughs) Well, so it's like, was that what product is, is part of it that like pandemic made it easier to record with all of these people in sort of more makeshifty ways? Or was it more like everyone had to come in and do it in, in the same way you would have done earlier seasons of Big Mouth and stuff? Like, was it different? Yeah. I mean, it's this season. I mean, it's, you know, we, it's the weird thing with animation is it's so, um, the process is so long for us. It's like a year and a half from when we, when we decide what, uh, like we're going to start a season to when it comes out. So this show human resources season one was entirely done in the pandemic season Mm -hmm. five of big mouth, which came out in the fall Half of it had been written and voiced before, right when the pandemic happened. But human resources, we started, I don't know, last a year, a July, a year ago or something like that. So it was completely voiced and written in the pandemic. We never, the writers were never in one room together. It was challenging, but we had the advantage of already having built the culture and the world of Big Mouth, including what it was like to write and voice over Zoom. Um, I, I don't like voicing in my house. I like to leave my house. I like to go to a, a voice, a, 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 a studio where I am, uh, away from my, f- not away from my family, but just that I'm like, I am in this place to do this thing. Right. And that's been the challenging thing with the pandemic in general is that we all were forced to go work from our homes in this weird way where you're like, how do I get away? And I, how do I, do I want to be away? I'm being distracted by this. I can hear the voices of my child in the other room, but also I genuinely just like, I want to go in the other room and fuck around with my kid. You know, like I'm stuck here talking, talking bullshit. And I want to go in the other room and watch him take his first steps. Whereas like we used to just go to work all day and you'd be like, well, I guess he took his first steps. There was no, there wasn't even the concept that you could be home all day. I think. And it's like that physical step. I mean, like you don't want to be the hormone monster at the same table that you like have dinner with your family. Right. I think like that applies to like me and Dave too. And like a completely different business where it's like, we don't want to be the people we are at work in the same space that we have to be with our family. Right. It's, it's fucking weird. It's just, it's a weird situation to go. Totally. From like just saying weird, saying things that you don't want to say in front of your family, basically not like horrible things, but just like, I don't want to sound like a douchey business guy. Well, uh, for the, that for sure. I mean, there's the business stuff and then there's the stuff of like, you know, my, the hormone being monster being like, <laughs> tear his fucking cock off and stick it up your own ass or whatever he's saying. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, um, you know, there's just, um, 
there's that element. But although, you know, it's like the truth is I'm like, ah, the kid's going to hear this stuff soon enough anyway. So what are you going to do? Did, did, did Lily see the first episode? <laughs> she, I don't know. I got to find, I think she has. I mean, it's interesting again, like it's this weird thing with the first episode and, and, and of, of human resources. Like I was, I've obviously been incredibly involved in, in the show, but it also happened that human resources, the writer's room started just as like my wife, Lily was becoming very pregnant and then was writing and then being edited through when she gave birth. And then we were in like, so there's things that weirdly coincide in some way with our experience of like the first episode of big of human resources about a woman giving birth than like seeing her child and she's not immediately in love with her child, um, which is not, wasn't the case with Lily, but I think is the case with moms and dads. And I think that it does not, is not ripped from the headlines of our life. However, there are elements to this first season. It's Ali Wong plays, plays this mother and eventually Mike Birbiglia plays it, her, um, her husband, there are elements to it that were very much like of what sort of like what our experiences were. Ironically, my character, Maury <laughs> is having a child with Connie, uh, in the show and Maury is pregnant. So Maury <laughs> in hormone monster world is pregnant. I weirdly, there were elements I was like, you know, seeing, having seen Lily pregnant and going through how hard it was, is to be pregnant. I was drawing off of her experience to, <laughs> for, for my, for Maury being pregnant. It's a, it's a very weird twisty term. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what's real and what's uh, going on anymore, but there are certain elements that felt like weirdly, like I would, wasn't in the room every day. And I, and then they'd come back and like, Hey, so we're thinking this, this, and this, and I'd be like, Oh, okay. And I'm like, Oh, that's weirdly like what is happening to us, even though I didn't have input on it. And then there are other times where I was like, Hey, I, I actually having gone through this, I, I want to weigh in on X, Y, and Z of like what that feels like to be, to be the partner whose partner is pregnant or to through observation, what it's like to be pregnant or what it's like to have a, a brand new child or how hard it is or like, but, but it's interesting because it's, it's not Lily and her experience. And yet there are elements that we for sure grabbed as we all do for the work we do. And I definitely revisited a lot of those feelings because of, you know, Gus being born again, I, as a partner, I can only observe, but I think I grew an appreciation for some of the topics that I would not have yeah, really connected with. And I think that was the strange thing for me with the show is there was like a, there's like random moments, um, like the, they were going through the perfect storm and but driving fast. Like that, that's like a real argument that I feel like every couple has, especially now if there's a child in the backseat, like these, these little moments of tension and you're like having that argument with yourself, with your, you know, variety of monsters in your mind. Right. It's, it's, yeah. um, this is like weird. I felt it was art imitating life, even though it doesn't seem like it. There were moments that I thought were like really connected with, you know, like when, you know, Beck was sitting on the toilet too. It's like, oh, I, I have been that person observing yeah. all these things. So, yes, I'm glad to hear that. I think, you know, what's interesting is, you know, Big Mouth was, is about kids going through puberty. And it's like either you're a kid going through puberty and you're watching or you're a teenager and you just went through it and you're like, this is what I'm going through. Or you are 
men and women, uh, older people looking back so somewhat nostalgically or cringing through it and being like, Oh, I remember when I was like that. It's really, but it's really focused on adolescence and puberty. This show is about really, again, the, the spectrum of human experiences. And, and, and so there are certain things that I think you're going to watch and episodes and storylines are like, Oh, I just had a kid. This really relates to me. I really can understand this. And then there are other stories that are like, I, I'm not a girl like choosing a new college, like, like based on whether my girlfriend is going to go to that college or not, or I have, I'm not uh, someone who's going through dementia or has someone in my family who's experiencing going through the process of dementia, or I'm not someone who deals with addiction to like, you know, weight loss pills or whatever, or, but hopefully at the very least it's, there's a voyeuristic quality to being like, Oh, I get, I get eyes on what that must be like to be, what, what is it like to go through? I don't know what it's like to go through dementia, but I'm now getting hopefully some color and some, some experience of what, of what that might be like, or what that, um, does that make sense? Yeah. But why, why is it that an animated cartoon can handle these topics? I want to say better. But in a more direct the best. way. Than, okay, you might want to say the best. The best. How, 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 is, how is this the, the best. best piece of. It is, yeah, how is this? How I mean, the I best? mean that, like, Ratatouille, like Ratatouille in a lot of ways is really the best movie about like kitchens. And, yeah, oh, and interesting. Because, like, again, I joke, but not joking. Cooks can't act and actors can't cook, so it's really hard to do. And a lot of that, <laughs> that sort of that, 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 that zeitgeist you can't really capture, but for whatever reason, it is perfectly captured in animated you know, movie. And I feel like a lot of these topics that you tackle in human resource would take like hours and hours and hours in a dramatic series to sort of flesh out, to talk about, but for whatever reason, it's much more direct. And because it's animated, it like, it's a Trojan horse in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Why is that? What is it about the animated genre that allows this to be so subversive? I think that, you know, and again, we, we, we didn't fully realize when we started Big Mouth that we stumbled into this. I mean, I think originally it was like, oh, if it's adults voicing kids, we can talk about more stuff. Like we, it's easier to do because you can't have kids talking, uh, about jerking off in, in the way that we stuff like that in Big Mouth. What we then started to do with, you know, these kids having hormone monsters, it allowed us to anthropomorphize the, the, the weird desires and most fucked up ideas that kids have. Then we, that started to evolve into, as I've said, like shame wizards and, and ambition gremlins and, and anxiety mosquitoes. And all of a sudden it gives voice to a lot of these different things that are hard for people themselves to express. So now in, in, in human resources, it's a further extension of that feeling of, of personifying the things that are hard to talk about. But I also think animation, and I, as you say with Ratatouille, and I say, I would say with some, a lot of my favorite pieces of culture that have been made over the last 10, 15 years, but really forever, but like truly there's something about the animation process that allows you to take a small step back where you don't have to feel the discomfort of watching live action human beings have these conversations and allows you to take a step back to enjoy the things that are being talked about. And then also it really allows you to really lean into all of these incredible flights of fancy, these things that 
you couldn't do like you're talking about this like perfect storm of of like you know the feeling of like like in in the show we we talk about Allie's character ha- starts to deal with postpartum depression and in in this space you all of a sudden get to when it's a real person when you're watching a real actor be like I'm depressed you can experience that and if it's done well it's great but it's harder to have like this like this tort this whirlwind of being out to sea of being like in the middle of an ocean where there's like a a a, a sinkhole of of dep- that that it's really hard to 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 have a live action version of that successfully and in animation you can make those massive leaps you can make you can you can take that Context, put that in a new context to to elevate what is at its core a very human story, but in a way that is really hard to successfully produce in live action. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. As I'm watching Human Resources or, or Big Mouth, I'm just thinking, Nick, about you know what you said of you can watch animated characters say things to each other that you can't necessarily watch live action people say the same thing. And for me, as I was watching it, I was like, partly it's because cartoons are invincible, right? Like Daffy Duck yes. and Wile E. Coyote are going to get exploded and they're going to be fine. And that actually kind of works on an emotional level too. Like the character on Human Resources can say something so fucked up to somebody else and actually they're going to be fine they're just getting blown up with cartoon verbal dynamite and they're going to be fine like there's some element where you can get away with that stuff yeah it, it does allow for some other although it's weird because like you know and we said it on big mouth is like you know the simpsons those kids nobody's changes nobody grows on 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 big mouth because it's a show about puberty and adolescence they are those kids are are we have them growing up like they've graduated seventh grade they're in eighth grade we're going to have them you know like they they're moving forward in time we've been trying to build these like emotional stakes that feels like no if this kid blows up he's fucking blowing up you know and or if this woman is dying of dementia she is dying of dementia and our now the advantage again what you're getting to is that we have these monsters and they are different than, you know, the humans that they are working with. That is an interesting dynamic for us to sort of be playing, you know? Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I mean, I know I know you said these are not all ripped from the headlines of of your real life, but I, I did, you were, you were talking about that first episode and, and sort of, and the woman in the delivery room giving birth. I feel like you absolutely murdered the cloyingly supportive husband who says things like, You've never looked more beautiful to me. I've never loved you more than this very moment. Yeah, Can yeah, I ask yeah. the two of you 
what were you were you guys that guy in the in the delivery room for babies were you what, what kind of shit were you saying were you being cloyingly supportive you know it's a weird thing because like and it's something that i think we're dealing with as fathers now is like it's so different than when our fathers were growing up like the and this is not a complaint this is a it's a privilege that the expectations for us are different than what it was for our fathers. The You're expectations of what it means. Cigar. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you know, it's like hearing stories of what birth was like with, you know, with our fathers or the, even the, obviously the generation before that, it's like, it's such a different thing. And what is expected of us for good fucking reason is different. And yet it is not our, it is our experience because it's our child and it's our our spouse, but it is not physically happening to us. And so all we can do is be like, is do our best to be supportive and figure out to the best of our abilities. The thing I was, the thing I was trying most was to not make it about me, like as much as I could and to try to be supportive inside of that. Yeah, but it's hard. And I, yeah, you don't want to say anything that's going to make them upset. That's right. basically it. You're like editing everything. I was editing everything I'm saying. I was <laughs> the slowest yes. I've ever. But that's the thing. Yes. Like, I, I don't. I don't even mean like you murdered it and like you you made it look bad. But it's like you you killed that in that it's like it's exactly what you're saying. There's like a doesn't matter what we say. We're totally useless and helpless. And we want to help so bad by saying something that's going to magically be like, oh my God, you said the 10 word phrase that makes my like entire lower body yeah. no longer hurt, but like it doesn't exist. Yes. So anything you say just sounds so amazingly empty. <laughs> but like that's, I, I, I think it's amazing. I was in charge of snacks. I was in charge of like... <laughs> I, and that's where I, and again, it's like, where can we focus our, and I mean, Dave has like made a literal life of this of like, how can I, what I can do is provide food. And so I will put all of my energy <laughs> and emotions into this right. thing. It's a, it's a, you know, we all have our different like, uh, love languages. Um, and I was like in charge of the cooler and I was <laughs> like very focused on that. And like, I got, I got Lily some like uh, green juices from Erwan, which like she liked and it would feel very nourishing inside of it. And <laughs> this, and it, but it had like, you know, those like weird green juices, with, like spirulina in it. And like, <laughs> if those don't get dealt with quickly, they become like nuclear and they just, I have, my vision is of this cooler that I had been very like carefully organizing and keeping <laughs> everything intact. And then just this, spirulina green juice in a fancy air one glass bottle just like explodes inside of this cooler and i am like i've lost that's where i like start to unravel you know what i mean yeah but i mean like dave dave talks about this all the time though right because like especially at this age we're between like before they're born and when they're one years old like dave you would talk all the time about like all I can do is is cook things. And so like, I'm going to go so over the top and do everything I can to pack yeah. the ultimate cooler. And then you're there and you're like, I've got the ultimate cooler. Do you need anything from the ultimate cooler here? And they're just like, I don't need your fucking cooler. <laughs> like there's nothing I need from there. Or your kid is like, I don't care that you made me a seven level bento box. Like it doesn't matter. But like we try to control the only little thing we can possibly control, which is like your ultimate spirulina box. It's, it's what we can do. And, and it's, you know, I think that's like the great, um, that's the, that's the, that's what's so exciting and challenging about 
family and partnership is like is like understanding what your like what your partner needs what you need and where that meets in the middle and like and you're like am i doing this cuz i want this love this is how i want to express love or is this what my partner wants or needs from me you know yeah chris do you have any tips for nick <laughs> did you did you like we did I was like, what's, what's the point of baby proofing? I don't baby proof anything. This kid can't go anywhere. And then all of a sudden they like take that first step and you're like, Oh my God, my house is a death trap. Or did you, were you more yeah. prepped than that? We, we pre, we were, I think probably like, we were very lucky to have like, you know, Dave and Grace and a few other people come by like, you know, and anyone with a kid comes by your house and they're like, uh, that's a corner. That's a death. You know, like they're already looking around the house. Just like so you're gonna much wanna... judgment. Yeah. Um, just... well, and we, so we got in there, we did it just in time. We got it all set up before. And he's, when I say he's walking, I mean, he's like taking like three steps. He's not like running around the house yet. So we did our best and I'm sure he will find, um, and the, the human brain, let's go back to like anxiety mosquito. Let's, let's call it Tito. Tito is able to envision and tell you the absolute worst things that could happen to your child. It's one of those places where you're like, well, what is the point? Why do we have anxiety? Why do we have shame? And it's like, sometimes you have anxiety to help point you to (laughs) the things that could go wrong that make you go and baby proof your house. You know, Mm. like there, there is utility to anxiety. There is utility to shame. You just have to figure out how to manage them. But it is, yes, we, we've, we're the, the gates are up. I, I like to call it like the TV room is now baby jail. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't, you know, for a while he likes the gates because they help pull them up, you know, so he's now like holding on to them, you know, it's a very interesting, but it's, it's like, you know, the, the house, all of a sudden you're like, did, are we, is this safe? That's what I feel like. Are we safe? Uh-huh. Is he safe? For us, it was it's all like scary. traction, traction footwear was the whole game. Cause I was like, let me see those socks. There's no little sticky bumps on the bottom. You can't wear those in here. I know Get these that's off. what we're, that's what I'm, I'm watching that now. I'm yeah. literally watching that now as he climbs the stairs and I'm like, <laughs> can our stairs stay wood? Do we need to like carpet the stairs? Right. You know, cause is he going to slip as he f- climbs the stairs? I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, you said something earlier that I wanted to ask both of you about now that we're talking about dad, dad tips you know, playing hormone monster at home and little Leo hearing you say things. I, I reminded me all the time of, you know, Dave and I are recording a podcast or we're on a call and Dave does this movie. Where he's like, well, what the fuck? Oh, sorry. Sorry, Hugo. Sorry, Hugo. <laughs> like the immediate <laughs> apology. I'm trying to figure Give this up. out. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Cause like my, my daughter and my son are now both at parroting age of just like anything you fucking say is coming sure. right back at you. Yeah. What are your two philosophies on language around the little ones. What's going to happen here? Well, I mean, I, I've seen all spectrums on this. You know, uh, like Bill Simmons, let's Ben Simmons watch anything from even when he was a toddler. Bill Bill's kid has been, was like, hey, my kid loves Big Mouth. I'm like, and he was like nine. You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, like, don't Nick, tell me that. He's like, That's your friends with Nick Kroll? <laughs> oh my God, it's my favorite. And he was like, again, not even nine. I think he was like, Seven. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, dude. <laughs> you know, but he interviewed I went on I went on a show and he interviewed me, the kid, and he did amazing. He was awesome. He was like, I was like, oh, this kid really gets it. He truly gets the whole thing. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an anomaly, an exception to the rule. Like he yeah. already knows 
shit and he knows fuck and he says it and he knows he's not supposed to say it. So I, I, I mean, God, well, Andrew Goldberg, my co-creator, one of my co-creators, he had kids uh, who are now, I think like 11 and I'm not exactly sure his, but his, what he has said, and I think should is, is a good rule is when they are the age of the kids on the show, you know, Big Mouth, they, those kids start at 12. So I think like something like 12, I mean, it also happens. And I don't know where, Chris, you are in the birth order, but I'm the youngest. Dave, are you the youngest? Are I'm you the youngest. The, yeah. It, parents slowly give up. So like the, the amount, like, I feel like by the time I was like five, I, I had, I had, I had seen The Exorcist. I had seen like Hot Dog the movie, you know, like by the time, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm sure like, the screens like we're much tougher with screens on we will be with leo than our future kids like because you just eventually you just give up i think like and so language i don't know what i'll do you know we he's not talking yet so it's hard it's like hard to it's like i think one of the first time i hear him be like what the fuck i'll be like oh oops but i think i feel a little bit with language the way i feel with most things which is like they're gonna hear it somewhere they're gonna feel it somewhere the more that it doesn't feel like something like some, like, I I have no idea. I don't, I have not, I've not heard my kid talk about it. I think the, the harder thing for me is like, not necessarily the, the word itself, but sometimes it's like having to explain the context of, you know, it's like shit. Okay. If I, she says shit, she's like, what does shit mean? I'm just like, shit is poo, you know, like whatever. But if she's like, yeah. What's a pussy? And I'm just gonna be like, ah, fuck. Yeah. Oh my god. Why? Yeah. What does that mean to like finger what blast? Is, what, about? What, I don't. What, I don't what, what is that? What is that, Chris? <laughs> Can you explain it? And why is that a term? Well, even more complicated. Where you're like, well, that's a woman's vagina, and you're like, well, then why is it used to describe an uncourageous person? Exactly. And you're like, that's what I'm saying. Oh, the context of like, know. oh, <laughs> well, so our society is a piece of shit. So first of all, let me yeah, explain. Yeah, yeah. Let me explain the patriarchy to you, my my daughter. Oh my but God. no, like, that's the hard. Yeah. That's the harder part. Is like, totally. what do you mean? Why are they saying that is a bad thing? And it's like, I don't. I, I tell think you. the hardest part for me now when I say something terrible in front of Hugo, or he does something terrible in front of me is trying my best not to make a scene out of it. Like, mm-hmm. like he was like touching his butt other day. Like he just, his hand wouldn't leave his butt right through on his diaper. And I'm like, if I make a big scene out of this, it's probably going to create some kind of neurosis like forever on him. I'm just like, how yeah. do you get him to like, you know, like not say that. And when he said shit the other day, it's like, how do I tell him like, if I make a big scene, he knows. And I sure it's a really hard thing. And and on top of that, it's like probably very funny to hear a tiny child say shit. So it's like you're like, oh, I want to laugh at this kid <laughs> saying shit. And you're like, yeah, fuck, it's so funny. That's what I I had a a bit for I ne- that I could never quite figure out, but it was about like fart and shit and like. It's so funny because I feel like kids all naturally like I made my first fart noises for Leo and he started cracking up like immediately. Like it's funny. And and the the, the human mind and knows it's funny and then they become obsessed, you know, and like I guess like whatever Freud talked about the anal stage, but like poo poo and caca and farts and it's all funny to little kids. And we let it. And then we hit a point where we're like, hey, not funny, like not funny, man. You got to stop talking about it. And then, and then we like not shame them, but we're like, stop making poo poo and caca jokes. And then around like 18, we're like, Hey, 
It's actually pretty fucking funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the total vote. You're like, now that you, you're, you're going up to college, I, 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 I want to tell you, you know, something. now that you're going to college, like it's actually very funny. And you've I'll, been pretty, you've been pretty damn funny this whole time. I laughed at all those poo poo jokes. I know. And for me, I'm like, I've actually made a, a living off of uh, poo poo and caca jokes. So <laughs> I'm not going to, sh- I'm not going to shame you anymore for it. No, I, I feel I feel like Dave, that thing you're talking about too, though, is is very real of like because they're they're looking for response. Everything is just like, I'll poke this button, I'll do this thing, I'll say this thing, and what what kind of a response do I elicit? And if the moment you're like your eyes get big and you're like, stop doing that, then they're like, Oh, I found something, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, I know, like, I know, I know where I'm it. gonna be going back to. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think the response is is how do you not react? Like my dad. That's pretty much right. my my guiding principle with Hugo is like, oh, my default setting is how my dad would react. Let's not do that. And that's pretty mm-hmm. much how I'm parenting Hugo. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing. I, I and I, it's like, and that's an, it is, a, we're all in somewhere or other, either both mimicking and trying to parent in opposition to however we were parented, good or bad, you know, without judgment. Hopefully we're improving upon how we were parented in whatever ways. And, and what's weird is then you re you, you start to unconsciously, you, you had that modeling and you're doing some version of it, you know, and that's weird. That's weird when you're like, or, or that you're like, I'm calm and yet he's doing this thing and it's filling me with rage in a way mm-hmm. that I don't feel in other elements. I'm like, how did that, what's that? Like, what is that reaction? What is that? You know, and and then I'm like, wow, is that were my parents? Was that were my parents as mad at me as I am right now, or do they? The other side of it is the amount of crazy respect you all of a sudden have. Like, That's man, I know. can't believe I'm like cleaning this human being shit, and my parents cleaned my human shit for years, <laughs> and I have the gall to get on the phone and judge them, yeah, and and tell them what they did was wrong. Well, you know yeah, what I mean? Well, that's our God-given right, is to tell them that. So. <laughs> that's all we have. That's all we have. I know. No, I think that duality is is everything. I think it's like, it's exactly you say, because uh, so many times when I'm trying to do what you're saying, Dave, where it's like, I don't want to, like, my dad would just yell at me right now. This is the moment where if I, like, touch this thing, he would just be like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm suppressing that. I'm like, man... Uh, my dad took the easy route on all of this shit. He just let his base emotions mm. come out and he yelled at me. But then Nick, like it's the exact same thing too, where I'm just like, I'm doing something. My kid is making me insane. And I have a memory of like, my parents never yelled at me about this. They never lost their shit when I was going bananas, like with my brother in the car or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my God, they did things so much harder than we do in so many ways. Yeah. Like they yeah. did it the hard way in a lot of other ways. I think totally, totally guys. This is real uh, human resources stuff. I have a interview for preschool for Hugo in Uh-oh. four minutes. Yeah, Uh-oh. I see. I see. There's I see Grace. Hi, Grace. I see Chris all ready to go for it. <laughs> hi. She makes it hi. Uh, tell, let me know how it goes. As usual, I'm going to have you and Grace go through this and then tell Lily and I what to do, please. Yes, please. I, this is, yeah, this is now consuming my life. Is it with is it with you and Hugo or just you two? No, Hugo just went down. Thank God. Um, okay. We got to catch up, Nick. Yeah, lo- I would love that. Thank you, guys. Go watch. Go watch Human Resources. Go check out Big Mouth if you haven't seen it already because it is extremely funny, and uh, we you. love Nick. Thank you, man. All right, go check out Human Resources on Netflix.
very funny, and also very serious. <laughs> yeah, it makes you feel things in rapid fire. You laugh, and then you're like, oh my God, I'm questioning my whole life. It's a roller coaster. And I, it's one of those things where I feel like I wouldn't be able to relate to unless you actually go, go through that stage in your life. Mm, interesting. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, if I was like a, in college, ripping a giant bong hit, watching this with my friends <laughs> on a couch on like a yeah. Tuesday night, I'd be like, that first episode, I'd be like, I, none of this relates to me. <laughs> it would be shocking. It would be shocking to get the sort of details he talks about with like labor and pregnancy. I would be no, but, terrified. But it's like, the thing is, it's still funny, right? Yeah. And it's funny, like my benchmark was always when Harry met Sally, mm-hmm. right? I remember watching that in like the late 80s, not understanding anything but laughing. And then every sort of era that you see Harry and Sally from their college trip across the country to, you know, their first job, their first breakup, their, you know, every moment mm-hmm. I could rewatch that movie and be like, ah, I see this in a different way. That's such and an I feel like point. human resource is the, is the same thing, right? It's like the first episode or even the episode about death. It's like almost everyone could relate to that. It's still funny, yeah. but it's also something that I feel like if you're going through that, you're going to see it in a different way too. So, yeah, that's, that's a great point. I think, I, I think that you're totally right. It's, it's rare that you find a show or some kind of creative endeavor that everyone can enjoy, but you can enjoy even more once you've reached a certain point in your life. Like half the time you watch something, you go back and watch it again. You're like, Oh, now that I'm older, this sucks. But like, this is something you can rewatch and, and learn more about. And he's, and he's on our network now working on uh, history of the world Part with two. Mel Brooks. Yeah. I feel like maybe the audience that we have maybe doesn't know who Mel Brooks actually is. Am I wrong? I hope that's not true. That's really painful if that's true. Listen, if youngsters today are like Michael Jordan, (laughs) he actually played basketball. You know what I mean? I guess so. I mean, that's true because I guess people, that's weird. Do people not, do you actually think that people didn't really know Michael Jordan pre-Last Dance coming back out? I think that re-engaged people. Everyone knows his brand. You know, but, but not like, him as like not what his accomplishments yeah. were on the court. Interesting. I mean, Blazing Saddles is still funny today. Yeah, but I think yeah, I'm so I can't believe that they're going to make part two. That's amazing. It's hilarious to me. I'm just uh, letting the original cast of Monty Python know is that uh, I will I will do uh, Monty Python Holy Grail <laughs> Part Two for you guys. <laughs> the offers out there. He's available. Offers out there. Waiting by. His I'm phone. never. I've never written a script before, so but I feel like this could be a uh, Orson Welles type of bit. My first shot, my first movie, I think I could crush this for you guys. <laughs> All right, it's out there. Anybody looking? Just retcon f- it to... Uh, Anglo-Saxon individuals to all Asian American, an Asian American Monty Python. Oh, that's None. actually now. Now we're talking about now we got a pitch. Now, <laughs> it's not even Ask Dave after dark with marijuana. This is just straight, straight, almost morning. This is sober morning, Dave, and he's still throwing high heat out here. Just pitches left and right. John Cleese, Asian American Monty Python. Let's do it. 